Hi, and welcome to Business Talk, presented by Business West and Living Local. Hi, I'm Chris Kellogg from the Kellogg Crew Morning Show on 94.7 WMAS, and here's your host for this episode of Business Talk. He's a recovering entrepreneur and consultant to small businesses and nonprofit organizations. Here is Tom Fox. Hey, Chris. Welcome, everybody, to another edition of Business Talk. This week, we're chatting with Waleska Lugo de Jesus, who is the CEO of Inclusive Strategies, LLC. I'm excited about the conversation because she's been involved for over 18 years in diversity consulting, how that really impacts organizations. And as a result of COVID and things that are going on in the country, I just thought it'd be a good conversation for folks. So I appreciate you coming on today, Waleska. Or should I say Wally? Because you said that makes it easier. I'll, I'll, I'll definitely take the easy road. I'll, t- and, I'll uh, take... I'll take the Wally. Thank you so Public much. Public educated uh, individual from New York. Sometimes I don't always pronounce everything right. Or we well, add ing to everything or kill it. Well, listen. We, thanks for coming on the program. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I hope that you are healthy and well and readjusting to a new way of being. And likewise to you and yours. Thank you. So, so you know, you've been involved in diversity and inclusion, and we hear it. I guess I, I, I hear it sometimes as buzzwords, and sometimes people, you know, they kind of get what it means. They kind of don't understand what it means, you know, the, well-intentioned, whatever it may be. But I really wanted to focus on, at least for, for talking to some of this, I know probably through COVID we're learning more and more about how these inequalities exist in the workplace and beyond. So I've got to imagine that as people are reevaluating evaluating the human resources functions and things like that. And so all this churn in organizations, you know, are folks taking a harder look at that? And, and so what's some of your thoughts on that? I mean, you, obviously you're, you're, this is your field. Uh, have people really, you know, taken this opportunity to take stock in, in things like that? Well, Tom, it's really, um, we're living in different times, race, equity, diversity, and inclusion in the era of COVID-19. Um, For me, I like to call it as uh, we're faced with two pandemics. You know, we have COVID-19, we had racism. And to your point earlier, um, what COVID-19 I feel has done is that it's demystified the racial injustice globally. So uh, like you shared, I've been working with racial equity and racism for over 18 years. And I carry all those experiences and stories with me. But this moment is uh, really different. We have the attention of a global society. And what I'm hoping is that we can help create change and we can do that by elevating systemic racism. So how can we do that? Moments like today by you opening the dialogue and having this racial conversation helps move the work forward. Um, You asked what's different also in diversity. So for me, uh, diversity is including, right? Including different voices. Um, including different thought leaders, but that's no longer enough. Um, And so I'm immersed in this work and uh, COVID-19 pandemic hit us with uh, little to no warning. And so I feel that we're living, we're working through, we've witnessed and experienced uh, directly and indirectly all of these effects. If I could, uh, Tom, highlight one uh, point where I feel that was where all of this collided. And uh, that was the murder of George Floyd on Mm. May 25th. And it's been uh, over 100 days. Uh, And so systemic racism in the middle of this uh, racial equity and justice uh, movement 
really forced us to look at uh, the different uh, social determinants of health. And we can talk a little bit about that later, but it, it really elevated the injustices and we can see it in the numbers of the uh, people that have been affected by the pandemic. Some of the, uh, some, some, there was an article that came out um, in relation to what you were just saying. Uh, part of it said, and which got me thinking was, because of where we are with COVID, that's really why it allowed, I guess it brought more attention to it because people were out of work. They had time on their hands. There's, you know, and now all of a sudden we hear this horrible injustice that happened to George Floyd and we have actually time to process that as opposed to going to work and getting back in the churn of things. You know, you listen to your news because you're wondering what's going on with the job market or whatever else. And then you hear a story like that and it compels you, I guess, or listen, if you got a heart, it compels you because you're like, how could, something like that happened. Mm -hmm. And, and I, for one, it's brought up a lot of conversation in my circle of friends and colleagues that sometimes sounds well-intentioned, but I think it's still a little bit misguided, not in a bad way. I think people struggle with change, but, but, and maybe this is, goes back to the conversation or to the point of diversity and inclusion is, when you're trying to figure something out, I've always looked at it from, from a customer development perspective. Mm. If I'm trying to figure something out, I should probably talk to the person I'm trying to figure it out about, the customer. <laughs> so if I'm trying to- That would know, help. Exactly. So, so <laughs> I'll tell a really quick story, which, which de depicts what I think is diversity inclusion gone horribly wrong. Years and years okay. ago, I got called in to do a project for a board of directors. They said they developed this wonderful program, but nobody was engaging it. I said, great. Well, who'd you develop it for? Latino individuals. I said, awesome. I looked around the board. I no said, Latinos. I, you, you already, <laughs> yes. You know, 100%. Yeah, and I was like, hmm. They go, we can't figure out why it's not working. I said, may I talk to the folks you built it for? And they go, well, yeah, you've never figured out. So I went and talked to them. Within five minutes of conversation, I knew what it was. Mm. But my feedback to them was, here's some of the things. Here's what went wrong. Here's how to avoid that in the future. Talk to the people you're building the program for. Mm -hmm. get, get people involved. There's such a richness and a beauty in, in a diversity of thought in and of itself. But now you add in the cultural aspects and things like that. And we're really, you know, we, we get to appreciate the nuances about individuals. And, and, and that to me is where the spirit of collaboration comes from. And if you're trying to build a superior business product or service, I need more cooks in the kitchen, so to speak. Am I hitting all the things? Because my customer is just not a white male who's 43 years old. Mm -hmm. How do we, you know, how do we learn more about the people we're trying to serve? So I appreciate, you know, to your work, bringing that into the workplace and understanding why building teams and getting people involved in the workplace, why that's important and how that, I guess how I would say it, fits a larger, larger social mandate in and of itself. And listen, well, you're doing good by, by doing good, at least mm -hmm. as I would say and I and and to your point and and I agree it also adds value right and so if you think about um, in terms of the business perspective um, I I try to shy away from saying that there is a big a business case for diversity equity and inclusion because we shouldn't have to prove that um, but but in terms of um, having uh, different voices, you know, it could be a younger generation, it could be LGBT group, it could be Latinx, it could be black, it could be white. Um, you need to have all of these different uh, life experiencers in order to create 
or nurture, not create, nurture creativity um, that helps create innovation. You know, if everybody's thinking the same, then what is that saying? Not, nobody's thinking. <laughs> um, so I, I do believe that, um, you know, race, equity, diversity, and inclusion. So what I would say in a personal level, where it used to be that this conversation, you know, it was called multicultural affairs. It could be called anti-racism work um, or equity, uh, diversity, and inclusion. Uh, it used to be a, a more difficult conversation to get people to open the doors to. Um, now, during uh, 2020, these two pandemics that I was uh, alluding to uh, with racism, COVID-19, it's the total opposite. People are trying now to catch up and say, wait a minute, now I realize that there is something systemic. This is greater than me. And oh, this is affecting the people that are either working with me or the people that I'm serving. So um, it's been really interesting because even if I have uh, businesses or uh, different industries involved in the work, the problems are the same. You mentioned one of them, uh, board diversity, uh, mm -hmm. lack of inclusion. Uh, there's a new term and it's not new, but it's, it's mentioned more of belonging, right? So diversity would be the step of including more people of different experiences. Inclusion is the process of um, making them a part of the system or the institution. And belonging is, you know, you can recruit as many people as you need to and meet your quota. But if they, they don't belong there, you're not going to retain them. So for me, belonging becomes of a higher importance, um, especially in, in the times that we are living. And I have to say, <clears throat> in full disclosure, I'm not a medical professional. I'm an entrepreneur. I'm a mom with a first-year college student that got accepted into Eisenberg Yay. Um, awesome. I'm, I'm a wife struggling to uh, think up of different menus uh, and dishes because now I can't order out as much as I did. Um, but at the same time, my role is to help people see themselves in racial structures and help dismantle systemic racism. So um, it's important for me to, to tell your audience and, and to share with my community that we all play a role in, in helping achieve that. You know, there's, there's and to your point, um, there was uh, another board of directors that I was impressed with in the community. Um, I'm not naming names one way or the other, good or bad, but what I appreciated about their board makeup was at least 25% of the board had to be made up of direct people that they serviced. And mm -hmm. I just love that because, you know, listen, I'm trying to build a program to help someone. Well, have them at the table. Have the, mm -hmm. how, Hey, how could this, how could I best build this to serve you? Tell me about some of the things I don't know, which was back to my early example was there was something in that program they built that actually would disqualify somebody for financial aid from the government. And they hmm. go, I didn't know that. Well, if you would talk to one of the folks when you were building the program, they would have said, oh no, here's a challenge. And you could have brought that into your design process. So I look at it even from the fiscal responsibility. You do, you know, listen, not only do you, I would say do, people you're trying to help a disservice by not having them involved in the first place, but financially you're spinning your wheels because now you got to go right. back and you got to recrack the egg and you, or you put the genie back in the bottle, whatever it is, but you got to spend more work and effort to make it right when you could have did it from the first place by just talking to folks and getting involved. And listen, we all become enriched by, you know, the more people that we touch in this life and the more we learn mm -hmm. from them. 
that informs, and I think you said earlier, you know, to some extent that informs our next move because we, That's right. we retain that. You know, we go, wow, mm -hmm. I didn't realize that when I was working with, these, you know, with this individual, that that was something that impacted their life. And you're, you're, you're absolutely right. Racism impacted and impacts our communities economically, socially, and culturally. And I want to give a couple examples of why this is so important that we see the synergies between this. So COVID-19, right, we had certain um, and dimensions of health inequities. And I think I'm going to try to do this in a way where it's personal. So, for example, we had testing uh, treatment sites, right, and then and then people with underlying health conditions. So we had, um, and and we're fortunate in, in in Massachusetts. We have great legislators that help advocate for free testing sites in, in in marginalized communities. And I intentionally use marginalized instead of minority communities because when I hear the word as a person of color, I'm a Puerto Rican. Um, when I hear the word uh, minority, I feel less than, and it's not. These are um, environments that have built uh, systemic racism around them. And so we're a product of that. Um, but, but they, so the, the, the problem was that there was a lack of testing in these, in, in our marginalized communities, and it was corrected by adding locations, right? Then there was another demand that we have to, or, or the recommendations was that we have to social distance. Well, we have racial segregation. We have neighborhoods with physical environments that um, house multi-generational families that mm -hmm. are living in, in buildings. And so that, that's poverty, right? So not being able to have the, um, the luxury of moving in, in a larger space because you're confined to a smaller one, then yes, the communities of color are going to, if you have one member that uh, contracts COVID-19, that could transfer into, oh. into others if, because of the circumstances. Um, you know, there's things like access to the economic stimulus uh, funding. So some didn't have bank accounts, some don't have access to the computers, some couldn't verify and claim their money, or if you're displaced, you don't have a mailing address. All of these different circumstances, right, needed to, this, this was all surfaced, um, I feel, during COVID-19, because that it was there where you could visibly and vividly see the inequities that exist in our communities. Um, and so that really became the identifier uh, to the, the rising numbers of in, within people of color, because now you realize, well, not everything is distributed equally. Absolutely. And you, we're, we're talking today with uh, Valesca Lugo de Jesus, the CEO of Inclusive Strategies, LLC. You know, and, and you know, what you were just saying, Wally, about um, some of those inequalities kind of bubbling to the surface. I, you know, I, I guess I've, I've observed that in some respects also in, in education. You know, now free school lunch programs, I'll be honest, I didn't know all too much about that before COVID-19, but then I saw how much people really rely on that. Yes. Um, I have to get every kid a Chromebook. You know, mm -hmm. we sometimes take for granted. I mean, I talked to my buddy in New York and he does pretty good and he works for a really good company. And his son gets a brand new, you know, iPad or iMac or whatever it is. Listen, hey man, he could do that. But, you know, I, I, it, I guess it wasn't, I took it for granted that a lot of folks that I know can easily get their kids a laptop and do all these things. Mm -hmm. But now all of a sudden, you know, and I was just reading a story this morning about a mom that didn't have Wi-Fi at home and she's got to sit in front of a library so her kid I can do. I saw that. Mm -hmm. You know, these are 
we take this stuff for granted and we go, oh, you know, everybody's probably got Wi-Fi. Everybody's got this. Everybody's got that. So do your, and you said marginalized communities. Is that how you term mm-hmm. them? You know, yes. The, these are, these are, I'd say in those areas, you know, this is at least the outside looking in, this seems like a big pain point, mm-hmm. you know, and, and all these things are going to continue, especially as COVID continues, if we're out of school longer and things like that. These are, and listen, if I'm a kid, right, you talked about multi, multi-generational household. If I've got grandma and grandpa, mom and dad, and three brothers and sisters in the same house, and I've got to go to school, and I got to focus, you know, all these things are these extra pressures maybe that, that you know, a lot of folks just kind of, I would say, maybe just don't even think about because we get, listen, I'm, I would say I'm guilty of it too. We all seem, we're comfortable with our surroundings because we live our life day to day. This is what we're used to. And it's sometimes it's difficult to put in that perspective. You know, look at something like, let's say the Black Lives Matter, ladder, uh, Black Lives Matter movement. You know, some people would, people would be dismissive and say, well, you know, all lives matter. And I go, yeah, sure, all lives do matter. But there's a, there's a reason that that movement happened. It wasn't just like, it just, hey, listen, let's just care about, you know, Black lives. No, there was a reason for that. Um, and I guess, you know, as you do your work, are people more apt to want to engage in those conversations now, talk about, have those conversations about Black Lives Matter, or, and also, if people are wrong about it? Are people brave enough or do people take the leadership necessary to maybe engage their friends and, and loved ones and go, hey, I know where you're coming from, but I think maybe you want to think about it a different way. Um, you know, are people, I guess, are people having heroic conversations about diversity and inclusion, I guess I would say? I see it happening on a daily basis, Tom. And I would say that to the response of All Lives Matter, Um, and this is not mine to coin, but someone said it and I continue to use it. Um, All lives matter. uh, All lives can't matter until black lives matter. Mm -hmm. And so what that means to me is that it's really important to think of this in terms of our history, you know, systemically for hundreds and hundreds of years, a group of people have been oppressed, um, marginalized, And um, so the Black Lives Matter movement, just for um, sharing purposes, was founded in 2013 as a response to the Trayvon Martin murder. And so their mission is really to help build local power to intervene in violence inflicted to Black communities. So if you if you um, if you understand the the formation and and the reasoning why. Um, this uh, movement was created, then you find your place in it. You know, you can agree or you disagree, uh, but, but, the, but the goal is really to help eradicate racism. If you say that racism doesn't exist, then that's part of a larger conversation. Because when you, <laughs> right, and, and not for today, but even as a, as a brown person, a, a, a Puerto Rican, um, I can't say that my experience has been the same of my black sisters. So, you know, there, it, there is, there is, um, there's a world, there's a global movement around Black Lives Matter because there, there are some injustices and inequities that are happening in the community larger than us. And so, you know, now is the time where you combat disinformation, you learn about your history, uh, try to create a better community. If you're in business, um, look at how to invest in diversity, equity, and inclusion. Uh, Try to understand what institutional practices you might be doing within your organization 
that are either oppressing or keeping out a certain uh, group of people and funding and collaboration are key. You know, when you, when you talked about it, I mean, if you look at it, and to your point, it is a larger conversation, but we do have to mm-hmm. look back to the, the, the very foundation of our country. Um, mm-hmm. how, what all went into that from an Anglo-Saxon point to an African standpoint, and all those things, all these stories come together. And I guess, listen, I'm not someone who wants to run away from history. I think that you learn more through understanding than by omitting. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there's, there's, and listen, we're generationally removed from that. And in many respects, you know, it's, how do we heal from it? It's something that's always going to be a part of our country. But, you know, if, if I always, I guess I put it this way, if I always was upset about the girl that, I, that broke my heart in eighth grade, how would I ever get past being a middle-aged man? You know, we have to, we have to at some point, you know, say, I have to grieve. And I, mm-hmm. and I say, whatever, then I, ha- what is my point to move on? And what do I need to do to move on? And sometimes, listen, sometimes that's forgiveness, some giving and accepting. And sometimes just understanding that, you know what, I'm not as informed as I thought I was. Mm-hmm. And then I think if we are vulnerable to that sense, there is hope in that vulnerability to have these in conversations. And, and there's, there's a cycle, right, of, of um, oppression. And so, yes, it's important to understand the history, but we see now uh, during COVID-19 and racism going back to when we started this conversation that because things aren't addressed, right, for, for hundreds and hundreds of years, then they continue to occur. For me, what's different is that now people have social media, they have phones, they're taking videos. So now we have evidence. For, uh, for, for people of color, we know that this has been happening. Uh, we understand that people are um, oppressed and, and we live within these inequity and these systems um, that advantage one group over the other. So we know that. But now people see it differently. And so what has been motivating for me, because I, I, I don't want to end in, in, a, uh, in a heavy way, is that I see more and more people having conversations at their dinner tables, having conversations with their group of friends. Um, I see leaders, C-suite leaders, really dedicating themselves to understanding what is the, the, the economic impact, um, what is the cultural um, you know, norm within my agency, within my community, what are the topics and these courageous conversations that I can bring into my workplace that could transfer into uh, good policies and procedures that, that are inclusive to all. So I see, I guess, selfishly, I get to see the good Right. Because for me, um, every time you turn on the TV, people are just seeing the negative, the negative and, you know, and, and all of that um, that you can't avoid. But I'm in the work and sometimes people are coming to the table by I just don't know what to do. And that's OK. Um, but they're open to the change. So I encourage people to shift resources, invest in race, equity, diversity, inclusion work, um, invest in their staff and their candidates invest in diversifying their boards um, because I guarantee that there's going to be a lot of innovation and, and creativity when you do that. And, and you know, and for my uh, brothers and sisters in, in the trenches, I just say uh, stand in your power. 
um, it's it's really important for us to to understand the social reality that we're living, and um, and I'm hopeful. Yeah, I would say uh, if people and obviously there's a lot of folks starting this conversation, you know, wanting to learn more. If people have questions or if people want to learn more about your work or how you could assist them, how could they how could they reach out to you? Thank you, Tom. Best way to reach me is by email, and that is inclusivestrategies at comcast.net. Well, Waleska, thank you very much for coming on the, the program today. We've been chatting with Waleska Lugo de Jesus, uh, the CEO of Inclusive Strategies. Thank you very much for, for coming on and chatting about how folks are diversifying, including more in the workplace, and how that impacts us all. Yeah, thank you for having me on the show. And um, it's been wonderful to reconnect with you. Wishing you much help. Thank you.